Let's listen together to God's holy and infallible word in uh, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, beginning at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's telling God's people in the verses we read that one day a child would be born, and that child is Jesus, God's promised one who would save his people from their sins. And then we get these names that I read that he's going to be called. Each one of those names gives us a description of just how wonderful Jesus is. December 1, we looked at Wonderful Counselor. December 8, Mighty God. December 15, last week, Everlasting Father. And today, Prince of Peace. We might wonder why he's called a prince. Why not king? We often talk about Jesus as king, not so much as our prince. But here, Isaiah is looking at Jesus' birth, and you aren't born a king. You only become a king when you're coronated, right? So Jesus was born a prince. He was anointed in his baptism. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness suffered and tested severely at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane during his betrayal and trial and mocking and crucifixion. But in all of those challenges his whole life long, but especially at the end, he passed the tests. He overcame the devil. He conquered Satan. Then he rose again and he ascended into heaven and was received by God the Father into heaven. That ascension was his coronation day when he ascended to the throne at the right hand of God. The Bible talks about Jesus' kingly reign in many places. In Colossians 1, we read, He's head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. We read in Revelation 17 that the powers of darkness will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He, Jesus, is Lord of lords and King of kings. And in Revelation 19, we read that written on Jesus' robe and on His thigh, I'm not sure why, but there's, I'm sure there's a reason, Written on Jesus' robe in glory, and on his thigh is his name, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Jesus' ascension to the throne, his coronation, was so certain and definite that he was referred as king, called king, even before that coronation. Like when Pilate, do you remember before the cross, asked if he was a king? And Jesus said, yes, I am. 
In fact, that's the reason I was born. But technically, like Isaiah says in our verse, he was born a prince. And when we think of princes today, um, we might think of the love interests of the Disney princesses, like Prince Charming, or if we're thinking of a real person, in something in real life, not animated, we think of, of Prince Charles, right, in England. But we also, when we think of him, we know there's really not much authority there, right? He's more of a figurehead in many of the monarchs in today's world. Not all of them, but the ones we're most familiar with are figureheads. There's not power there. But in biblical times and in most of history, this was a term that conveyed real authority, It was a governmental term, we could say. A king ruled the nation. A king set the laws, levied the taxes, punished wrongdoers. And the prince would be that person one day too. And and so you better respect that prince. You better make sure you're never on his wrong side. As king of kings, all authority has been given to Jesus In heaven and on earth, as he said in Matthew 28, just before he officially ascended to the throne. All authority, Colossians says, in him is the supremacy. So so think about that once. All authority in this one person. One ruler, one commander, one captain, one leader. Think of that and then compare it to the complexities of governments today all over the place. With Jesus, there are no government bureaucracies, no government inefficiencies and infighting, no corruption, no complications. Sometimes we think, well, if only so-and-so, this or that political leader, had more say-so. If only they could rule without opposition. If only this person could rule uninterrupted and be given unlimited power and authority. But then we quickly think a little more and we realize that that's never going to work in the end, unless it's a perfect human being. It's not going to work, and it will almost certainly end very, very poorly. And recognizing that, and human being's sinful nature, that's why our founding fathers, the founding fathers of America, set up our government the way it did. Three branches of government, none with ultimate authority and power, checks and balances. Without that, dictators tend to rise up and things go south very, very quickly. Whether you think of, in ancient times, the Roman emperors or more modern history, you think of Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Fidel Castro, the list goes on. If you look up dictators on on Google, there are a lot more than you think. There's the big ones, like the ones I mentioned, but there are many others in government's that don't have these checks 
and balances. But now think if you had someone who was perfect in power, and he did have all the power, and there weren't all these government bureaucracies and everything that goes on and committees and so forth. And think if you had someone who never actually, he wasn't born in sin, and he never actually ever sinned in his thoughts, in the words he said, or in his deeds. He had no selfish ambitions. Well, the only person like that ever was Jesus. Perfect wisdom, perfect intentions, perfectly just and righteous, and with the almighty power to carry out all of his policies. In his government, nothing ever gets held up in committee. Nothing ever gets bogged down by the bureaucracy. And as citizens of his kingdom, we have an ultimate authority who is perfect, and he reigns now, today, over his church, he reigns in our hearts, and he reigns over the universe. And one day, when our king returns on the clouds, every knee will bow. His perfect rule is going to be forever fully established, and all opposition will be wiped away in the new heavens and the new earth. Is this person, is Jesus the prince, your prince today? Is he your king? Does your life look like you're bowing the knee to King Jesus? Another question about this prince of peace idea, we might ask, what is this peace? And why is he called the Prince of Peace? Why isn't he called the Prince of Love or the Prince of Grace, the Prince of Mercy, the Prince of Justice? Why peace? Well, the biblical word here that we translate as peace is the word shalom. You might have heard that word before. And shalom actually includes all of those ideas that we might be thinking of. Shalom is peace, yes, but it's also love and grace, it's mercy, it's completeness, it's prosperity, it's contentment. And all of that, not just in our own individual hearts, but between us and our neighbors, the people around us, and in all of society as a whole. That's what that shalom is about. It's a kingdom where there is justice for all, where there is love and care, prosperity, righteousness, mercy, wholeness, everything good you can imagine. Any Star Trek fans out there? I guess I'm the one, one nerd that can't. You guys just don't dare because it's so nerdy. Well, in the original Star Trek, there was a character named Spock. Oh, good. <laughs> there was a character named Spock. This is in the original. I've hardly seen any of the originals. Those were on TV, first run in the late 60s. My dad did. I've watched more of the later ones, but I know Spock. He was half human and half Vulcan. And Vulcan is an alien race. Spock 
had this special Vulcan greeting. And I think it was goodbye, too. You've probably seen it before. I don't think it's necessarily easy to do, but when you practice a lot as a little boy, <laughs> you can do it. Um, Spock was played, so there's an interesting background to this greeting, goodbye. Spock was played by an actor named Leonard Nimoy, and he shared later in life, the writers didn't come up with that sign. He did, the actor. Um, and I think it was like in the second season is when he first pulled it out. He based that sign on a greeting not on a greeting, but on a Jewish ceremony that he attended with his family as a boy. And, and at a certain point in this ceremony, it was a big deal, serious thing. I don't know all the ins and outs of what it was about. But he was instructed by his father that now what's happening up front, nobody can look at this. So clo either close, everyone was either closing their eyes, putting their heads down, or outright turning their backs to what was happening to just make sure that they couldn't see this. But the sounds in this ceremony were so odd, it was like sing-songy chanting, and they were so eerie that at some point, little Leonard, he couldn't help but peek. And at the moment he peeked forward, uh, there was the man, the priest in the center, was holding his hands out like this to everyone in a blessing. And that's what Nimoy based the Vulcan greeting on that Spock always did. And what this is, it's a representation of the Hebrew letter Shin. And if you go like this, that actually forms the letter Shin. It's a meaningful letter in Hebrew. It's the first letter of the word, a word for God, Shaddai, which means Almighty. It's the first letter in the word Shekinah, which refers to the glory of God in the Old Testament. It's also the first letter of the Shema, and that's the Hebrew profession of faith that we see in Deuteronomy 6. But it's also the first letter of the word shalom. The words that go with this greeting this in Star Trek are live long and prosper. The philosophy of the Star Trek universe was that peace would come to all, the whole galaxy. In fact, all the galaxies, the entire universe, everything would just get better and better, less crime, less war, less disease, and every disease could be cured. And that's basically the goal of humanism. Human, that humans, through logic and through reason, through science, through progress, through mutual understanding and respect for others, all without God, will create one day a utopia, a heaven on this earth. Candidates for president, in a sense, promise these sorts of things, almost always without bringing God into the picture, and each one of them wants to be coronated 
as the Prince of Peace today. But as history goes on, we see that it's never going to happen. So many people do not live long. So many people do not prosper. It's only the Prince of Peace, this child of Bethlehem, who brings real peace. And in a real sense, that live long and prosper blessing can actually only happen for anyone and for our world through him. We could also ask, uh, how will this government and peace increase? Right? We read that in verse 7. Of the increase of his government, uh, what does that mean? That his government and his peace will increase. And what does that look like? Well, some Christians believe that the church, the kingdom of God, is going to just keep growing until Jesus returns. And as a result, society as a whole will keep on improving. Not through people, not like humanism says it, but through the church and and through God's word and through Jesus going out into the nation. And we look around in our society and in our world, and, and we see some things improving in terms of the kingdom values and in terms of Christianity, but there's a whole lot of other stuff we see and we think, um, maybe there's not much progress of the kingdom and of Jesus' reign. Um, there, there are examples of, of Christ's reign um, not reign increasing, and there are examples of good things happening in the name of Jesus. But it's really a mixed bag, wouldn't you say? On the one hand, uh, uh, people seem to see in our age and our, this new generation, uh, many who are committed to Jesus and who are committed to their faith like never before in, in that we've seen. But on the other hand, we also see many who are wholesale rejecting the Lord and his kingdom and his church. So is it going to keep getting, is the church going to keep increasing and the kingdom values spread everywhere over the world bit by bit? It's hard to say. There are some things you read in the Bible that might point you in that direction. But in this text, increase could also mean abundance. And so maybe the Bible is saying more of the abundance of his government and peace, at least here. The abundance of his government and peace, of that there will be no end. In other words, Jesus, the child of Bethlehem, the prince, has enough for everybody. And he's powerful enough that anybody in the whole world who repents and turns to him, he'll forgive and receive into his kingdom. He has enough peace, in other words, and love and mercy, that shalom uh, for everybody. And he'll never run out of it. His resources are abundant in that they are unlimited. And the benefits, what that means is, the benefits and the blessings that he has for you and me as people, they never ever run out. Whenever you or me as his child go to him and call out to him in our need, 
He has more than enough of what you need in your life. One more question. Finally, where does this all happen? His government, his kingdom, his shalom. Well, it happens in our hearts. It has to start with accepting Jesus in our hearts. You can't have world peace or peace among people and nations if there's no peace in people's hearts. We saw this a couple months ago, right? No God, no peace, but no God, no peace, right? Peace is, first of all, a matter of you've got to know God yourself first before you're ever going to have it. Um, and it's, it's a first a matter of the heart. It starts in our heart. And it's rooted in the love of God who has loved us first. And then we're called to respond to that love, to accept his love. Uh, And then with the power of his love, we love others. As a church, God fills us and equips us to receive Jesus' peace. And then we share this only true peace here with each other. And we share it beyond with all people near and far away. Are you sharing the peace of Christ in your life today? And if, if we are, we should be able to think of specific instances in which we're sharing Jesus' peace with those in the family of God, first of all. And then also, how are you sharing the peace beyond the church family, with those perhaps who are not yet part of the family of God. But maybe your sharing of the peace of Jesus could help them get a step closer to being part of the kingdom. So, one perfect ruler bringing ultimate peace and love and justice with abundant resources and blessings for his citizens and for anyone who is not yet a citizen to join his kingdom. To experience all this, to extend it outward beyond our lives and beyond our church, we simply ask him to reign, first of all, in our hearts. I invite you to do that, whether it's for the first time or if you've been a little distant from the Prince of Peace for a while and haven't experienced the peace, well, Invite him in. Tell him, tell him you're sorry. He loves, loves to forgive. And may he be in your heart. Isn't this child wonderful that we've been seeing in Isaiah 9? Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, Thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he is so wonderful that there is not a single name in our language, English, or any other that fully captures who he is. And then, so in your word, you give us all these different descriptions, these different names, that, and how, how each one of us has such a depth to it, Lord, 
Um, may, we, may we grasp that. May we uh, receive the child of Bethlehem who has come into our church, into our hearts, into our lives, and may we extend his love, his peace, outward from there. First of all, by being a community of this shalom, always. And then also, oh God, that we would be eager to uh, share with others and invite others into this community of faith where for our lives we can have a peace like none other. It's in the Prince of Peace's name that we pray. Amen.